four wonderful weeks of vacation. Um, we planted the church, as most of you know, a little over three years ago, and so for about four years now, we've been going very strong in this direction, and so we really needed a break. It took me three weeks to relax. We spent the first two weeks in, uh, at, at the lake, at a lake house, and then we spent the next two weeks at Estes Park, Colorado. And we were right at the base of the Rocky Mountains there, and we drove on the highest paved road in America uh, several several times, you know, while we were up there. And when you're up that high, you can get um, dehydrated and altitude sickness. And the last week I was there, I got altitude sickness. And I was trying to drink a lot of water, and I, I figured out what it is that did me in. I, I took water everywhere I went except for one place. One place. It's the only place that I didn't take a bottle of water with me. If I, we went trout fishing in the mountains, I took water. We, uh, played golf, I took water. We went hiking, I took water. The only place that we went that I did not take water was the outlet mall. And I now know that it was the outlet mall that did me in. It, it is a scientific fact that men cannot walk at a mall. It absolutely wears us out. I, I can I can carry a bag. I can walk nine, uh, 18 holes of golf. I can track a deer five miles. I can't make it to the third, third store at a mall. It just absolutely wears me out. That's what the benches are for. I figured that out now. You never see women sitting on those benches at malls. They're for the men. And we went to this one store, and, and they were going out of business. Yeah, right. I know stores have been going out of business 30 years, you know. So Debbie said to me, I need at least an hour in this store. She gives me time frames, you know. I need one at least an hour in this store. And so I walked outside, saw the bench, knew I should sit down on the bench, but decided to try shopping, to try walking around from store to store to store. Well, thank God I'm here. I had a near-death experience because of that. So I'm back, back to health, and I've gotten, I survived the, the outlet mall. Um, when I was on vacation, the first week I was on vacation, the Lord spoke to me about this next series. And I've been studying and praying now for four weeks. I am so excited about this series. I promise you this series is going to change your life. I promise you, you are going to be changed when we finish this series. If you will come and you will apply yourself and you will read, I'm going to ask you to read in the Bible every week some passages of Scripture, not just while you're here during the week. I, I was watching this morning from my office. I can see people coming into the building. And I was watching this morning as people were getting out of the car, getting their Bible, and coming to church. Do you realize that it's not popular to have Bibles anymore? You realize that it's not popular to bring your Bible to church anymore and to read your Bible and to study your Bible. And I just want you to understand that is an attack of the enemy because this is the only way you're going to be able to make it through this life is to know the Word of God. And so what we're about to do is going to absolutely blow you away. I actually had a dream, and in my dream, I was going through the book of John in my dream. And I was in the dream, I was realizing how the book of John is different from any other book in the Bible and any other gospel. And I just want to tell you some things about the book of John before we get into the book of John. 
And that's what we're going to do is we're going to go through the book of John. But I was going through it in, in my mind, in the dream, and I woke up and then began to pray about it and began to write things down that the Lord was giving me. But John is a gospel, but it is not a synoptic gospel. In other words, the word synoptic means similar, a similar book. The word gospel, by the way, means good news. So it is a book of good news, but it is not similar to the other three, to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic gospels. John is not a synoptic gospel. Uh, The word synoptic is like the word synonym, which means similar, like a similar word, a synonym word, the same. It's not the same. It's absolutely, totally different. John wrote the book of John many years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote their books. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke only record the last year of Jesus' life. When you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you are only reading about the last year of his ministry. He had three years of ministry. In other words, they all begin with the birth of Christ, then they go to the wilderness, then they go to the baptism of, of Jesus, but then immediately all three of them say, before the imprisonment of John, I mean, after the imprisonment of John the Baptist. After the imprisonment of John the Baptist. And they record Jesus' ministry in Galilee. But he had two years prior to that, which John records that they didn't record. John says that he clearly states this is before the imprisonment of John the Baptist. And that's why there are things in John that are not in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And this is what I was going through in my mind in, in the dream. In, while I'm dreaming, I, I, I guess I'm dreaming because it's about four or five in the morning and I begin, I guess every, it seems like nearly every morning I wake up thinking about Scripture and thinking about these things, and so it's those last few hours before I'm awake, these thoughts are going through my mind. And this is what was going through my mind. John 2, the turning the water into wine. That's not in any other gospel. John 3, the Nicodemus, the conversation of Nicodemus and about being born again. Not in any other gospel. John 4, the woman at the well. Not in any other gospel. John 5, the healing of the blind man. I mean the lame man. Not in any other gospel. I could go all through it. John 8, the woman caught in adultery. Not in any other gospel. John 9, the man who was healed who was born blind, not in any other gospel. Uh, John 11, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, not in any other gospel. John 13, the washing of the disciples' feet, not in any other gospel. I mean, it's John 14, 15, 16, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the explaining of the Holy Spirit's ministry, not in any other gospel. John 17 is the prayer of Jesus, not in any other gospel. Uh, even John 18 through 21 record the death, burial, and ascension of Christ Same thing, the resurrection and ascension, same thing Matthew, Mark, and Luke do, but John gives us details that are not in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. For instance, all of us here probably know that Jesus' side was pierced with a sword. That's only in the book of John. It's not in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Also, John records the last words of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not record them. The last three words he said on the cross, it is finished. Only recorded in the book of John. The book of John records six miracles, five of them, are not in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So I'm not trying to put down Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I just want you to understand that John gives us an insight into Jesus that's nowhere else in the Bible. He gives us the first two years of his ministry that we don't have anywhere else. And he also, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke only record one Passover, which would, would cause us to believe that Jesus only had one year of ministry. Jesus, I mean, John records all three Passovers. John records three Passovers in his life, and that's the primary reason we know that Jesus ministered three years on this earth, because of the book of John. 
It is amazing when you when you begin to study the book of John. I want to get you excited about it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, by the way, they begin with the birth of Jesus. John begins with the birth of time. John begins differently, and he begins the same way that only one other book in the Bible begins. He begins with these three words, in the beginning, in the beginning. That's what we're going to look at in just a moment. By the way, let me just tell you some things about John. I hope you're starting to get interested in the book of John. hope you're getting very interested. Let me tell you about John. He lived to be the oldest disciple. He lived to be over 100 years old, and he was the only disciple not martyred. Every other disciple died a martyr's death. And many people wonder, well, why didn't John die a martyr's death? They tried to, but he wouldn't die. They tried to kill him, and he wouldn't die. The, the same uh, leader that crucified Peter upside down put John in a cauldron, a pot of boiling oil, and he preached to him in the oil. Sitting there in the boiling oil, he told them about Jesus. And the leader was so intimidated that, the, that he took him out and he banished him to the island of Patmos. And he was there for one year. And while he was there, he wrote another book of the Bible, which, by the way, is the hardest book of the Bible to understand. And that is the book of Revelation. John is the one who wrote that book. While he was on, in other words, he banishes him to a deserted island, and there Jesus himself appears to him. And he writes the book of Revelation. And then he comes back and he, he spends the rest of his life at Ephesus. For the last 10 to 15 years of his life, every time he'd go to the temple, they'd ask him to speak. They'd ask him to share. He's the only one living that walked with Jesus at that time. And some people thought that he would live until Jesus came again because of what Jesus said to him in John 21. John said, actually Jesus said it to Peter. He said, if I would, that he live until I come. What is that to you? And he wasn't saying that he would live until Jesus came. He was just simply saying to Peter, it's none of your business. But anyway, John lived to be over a 100 years old. In the last few years of his life, every time he'd go to the temple, they'd ask him to speak. You know what he'd say? He'd get up, and that's what he'd say. Love one another, and he'd sit back down. That's all he'd say for the last 10 to 15 years of his life. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. And finally, they said to him, why is it that that's the only thing you would, you'll say? And this is what he said, because it was the Lord's command. It was our Lord's command that we love one another. And that's what He commanded us to do. I want you to just think about that. If we fulfill that one command, it changed the world. That one command, just to love one another. This is John. He's an amazing man. He was the nephew of Jesus. Did you know that? See, I didn't know all this stuff. I was just realizing in my dream how different the book was. And then when I began to study on it, it just blew me away. Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, had a former wife who died before Mary. And he had children by her. One of those was a daughter named Salome. Salome married a man named Zebedee. Salome and Zebedee had John. And John was the nephew of Jesus and was probably between five and ten years younger than he was. Grew up knowing about Jesus. He was probably between 20 and 25 years old when Jesus was 30, and that's when he began traveling with him. By the way, John was the disciple that Jesus committed the care of his mother to. Because Joseph was much older and had already passed away when Jesus died. And, Je- and Mary lived with him in Jerusalem for 15 years and then she passed away. And probably the reason he committed care to her was because of his character, but also because that he was the nephew. He was in the family. But he's the one Jesus 
committed the care of his mother to. He also leaned on the breast of Jesus. Now, that may not seem like a lot to you, but if you'll just let that sink in on you, he leaned on the breast of God. And he wrote a book, and I'm kind of excited about that book. And I want you to get excited about that book also. Tell you one other thing about John. The Bible refers to him four times as the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, I got to thinking about those. That's a little bit suspect because John wrote that about himself. It's kind of like the Bible also says that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. You know who wrote that? Moses. I'm, I'm humble and I'm proud of it. Okay. But the point is that the Holy Spirit inspired these verses. They're in the Bible. They're in the Bible, all right? The Holy Spirit inspired John to write this. The disciple whom Jesus loved. And for, for, for a, a while I thought, why, why would he say that? Lord, did he not think that you loved other, the other disciples? Did he think he was the only one that you loved? And, and the revelation, these four weeks were just flowing so, so wonderfully. Immediately the Lord spoke to me and said, he didn't write that because he thought he was the only one that I loved. He wrote that because he had the understanding and the revelation that I loved him. He understood. He caught it one day. Jesus loves me. And let me just tell you something. You need that revelation too. That is a wonderful revelation. And so from then on, he always referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he wasn't trying to be exclusive with it. You ought to refer to yourself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Because he does love you. So John is absolutely amazing. I want you to turn to John chapter 1. This is what we're going to do in this series. I'm going to go, we're going to go through a chapter a week in the book of John. This is why I'm telling you this will change your life. It will absolutely change your life. By the way, did you know that when translators go into a, a new language group, a new tribe, a new village where they don't have the Bible, that they begin to learn the, uh, their language, and then the first book of the Bible that they translate is the book of John. That's right. And they give that book to those people, that group of people, while they're translating the rest of the Bible. And most normally, most of the, most of the time, all of the people get saved. The whole tribe gets saved just from reading the book of John. And then it takes between two and three years to get them the rest of the Bible. And when they get the rest of the Bible, they've already, for two to three years now, all they've read is the book of John, and that's all they know. And they, they look at the rest of the Bible in the light of John. So here's what the phrase that came to me when I woke up that morning, through the eyes of John. I want to look at Jesus through the eyes of John. And the name of this series is Revealing the Mystery. Because this is what I want to tell you. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record the history of Jesus. John records the mystery of Jesus. And there are things in John. Listen to me. This is going to blow you away. John records more of what Jesus said about himself than any other gospel. There are long discourses, chapters long. Chapters, chapter 6, chapter 7. Chapter 8, cha chapter uh, 14, 15, 16, 17, chapters long of just red letters in the book of John. There's more red letters in the book of John than any other gospel. I'm telling you, you ought to, if you're not getting excited about the book of John, something's wrong with you. 
you need to start getting excited about it because this is going to be unbelievable. We're going to go through a chapter a week. Now, I can't, we can't do every verse in the chapter, obviously. We're just going to take a theme, one a week. And this is what I want you to do. This week, I'm going to preach on John chapter 1. And here's what I want you to do during the week. Here is your homework assignment. I want you to read John 1 this week, several times if you can. And then I want you to read John 2, because next week I'm going to preach on John 2. And then next week, do you know what your homework assignment is next week? So read John 2 again and John 3, so that you catch it. So every week you're reading two chapters of the Bible, but not just one time. Every night, every night, every morning, whenever you can, I want you to read those two chapters, the one that we just preached on and the one that I'm going to preach on the next week. And I'm telling you, God's going to speak to you. God is going to reveal the secrets of Jesus to us through the eyes of John, a disciple who was very close to him, who knew him very, very well. That's what we want to see. All right? John chapter 1. Everyone ready? John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Now, that is referring to Jesus, and I'll show you in just a moment. And the Word, that's Jesus, was with God, and the Word was God. Now, we'll just jump down to verse 14, and I'll show you that that's, that's Jesus. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John's the only uh, gospel writer to refer to Jesus as the only begotten, and that's because Jesus referred to himself as the only begotten in John chapter 3. And so John refers to him as the only begotten. And then Revelation 19 verse 13 says, He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So Jesus is the Word of God. All right? Now, verse 1 again says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now look at verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. Now, let me just say something before we go on, all right? Don't just read over these verses. Don't think, okay, you know, our pastor just likes the Bible, and so he's going to read ten verses or so, and then we're going to get to the good stuff. Listen to me. This is the good stuff. This is much better than what I have to say about it. This is the good stuff. The Holy Spirit can speak to you. When we are reading the Bible, don't let your mind wander. Don't go anywhere else. Look at it. Focus on it. And focus on those words and let the Holy Spirit speak to you, all right? And let, let's go back. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light, now don't miss this, shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is talking about John the Baptist now. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the life, and that all through him might believe. He, that's John the Baptist, was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, watch this phrase, which gives light to every man coming into the world. That's awesome. That's a wonderful verse that Jesus gives light to every person coming into the world. Verse 10, 
This is awesome. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. You could just meditate on that verse about 76 hours this next week. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. <laughs> That's amazing. Jesus was in the world, he made the world, and the world didn't even know him, didn't recognize him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And then look down at verse 29. We want to pick up one more thought that John gives us in chapter 1. Verse 29. The next day, John, this is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And verse 35 says, Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said to them, Behold the Lamb of God. Jesus is referred to as John chapter 1. There are four declarations made about him. And that's what I want to talk about today, all right? Jesus is the Lord. He is the life. He is the light. And he is the lamb. And in your, in your notes, in your bulletin, it doesn't have the word the in there, but I inserted that word. I want you to understand it because it's important. Jesus is not just a Lord. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. He is the life. He is the light. And he is the lamb. That is the context of chapter one. But here's what's amazing. Again, one of these mornings when I'm waking up, it, all of a sudden it just hit me. That's the context of the whole book. That's what the whole book says. I begin going through the chapters in my mind, and the first few chapters talk about the lordship of Jesus. The next few chapters talk about how he is light. The next few chapters talk about how he is light, and he's the light of the world. And the end of the book talks about how he's the Lamb of God again. That's the whole book right there. John's giving us the outline of the book in the first chapter. So that's what I want to talk about, those four things, all right? Number one, Jesus is the Lord. He is absolute Lord of everything. He is God. That's what John's trying to tell us. John is trying to say, listen, you might believe that Jesus is the anointed one. You might believe that he's the Messiah, that he's the deliverer. But I'm telling you, he's more than the Son of God. He is God. He is God himself. God himself didn't send someone to redeem us. He came himself. And that's what is overwhelming to John. John is trying to say, in the beginning, Jesus was there. Jesus was right there with the Father in the beginning, and everything was created through Him. Everything was created through Him. Everything was made that was made through Him. He's the one who made everything. Listen to Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man. I want you to notice the word us. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Listen, that verse doesn't say, God. then God said, let me make man. In my image, according to my likeness. It says, let us make man. In other words, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit made us, created us. And John is trying to say to us, Jesus is God. He is God. I'm not so sure that many of the Jews understood this. See, they looked at Moses as a Messiah. They looked at Elijah as a Savior. And they may have thought that Jesus was just a prophet sent from God, and that's a very popular theory even today, that he was a good man and he was a prophet sent from God. He wasn't a prophet sent from God. He was God. He was God. 
God himself walked on this earth. God himself came and died for our sins. And that's what you need to understand in John chapter 1. Jesus is God. He created everything. And by the way, he didn't have to think about it. And it didn't take him millions of years either. It took him six days. I was just in the Rocky Mountains and someone said, you know how these mountains were formed? I said, yes, Jesus spoke. I know exactly how these mountains were formed. And they said, these took millions of years. I said, no, Jesus is so smart, he can do it where it makes it look like to you that it takes millions of years. Do you realize that there is an attack against us to make us feel like that we're not smart if we believe the Bible? And there are people out there that are the smart ones. Listen, here, here's what the smart ones say. Nothing collided with nothing, and that's where all this came from. Now, that's smart there. No, Jesus spoke and created everything. Jesus did. All things were created by Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. That's what He's telling us. And He didn't have to have us sit down for millions of years and, and draw up a business plan about how He's going to create the earth and how everything was going to work. Have you ever even thought about all the details that go into it? He, he didn't have to think about how plants and animals were going to uh, coexist and how, you know, these animals would eat plants and these animals would eat other animals and how humans would coexist and how we would reproduce and how every cell in our body would work perfectly with every other cell. Now, I want you to hear something. If you've never heard this, I just want you to know something. Jesus didn't have to think about that. He just knew it. He knows it. Now, listen to me. If you've never, if you never understood this, I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't think. You know why he doesn't think? Because if he could think, then he could think of something he's never thought of before. Nothing has ever occurred to God. God has never said, you know, it just occurred to me. Never. Listen to me. God doesn't think. He knows. I understand that that's hard for us to comprehend. He knows all. He knows everything. He is brilliant. He is God. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. And they're trying to figure out why we're the exact perfect distance from the sun to keep the planet from freezing and to keep the planet from burning up because we're held by the hand of Jesus. That's why. Because there's a Creator, and His name is Jesus Christ, and He's the Lord of everything. There's nothing too hard for Him. Here's the second thing John tells us. Jesus is the life. He is the life. In other words, all life comes from Him. John 10.10, a verse that we know very uh, well, many of us. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And I want you to look at that verse for a moment because we all focus in on the abundant life. But that's not the first thing he said. Listen to what he said. He didn't say, I've come that you might have abundant life. He said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Listen to me carefully. Without Jesus, you don't even have life. All life 
comes from him. That's what John 1, 1 says. Everyone, and this is the way he created life. He created everything to be sustained by something. Everything. He created everything to be dependent upon something and to be sustained by something. And he created us to be dependent upon him and to be sustained by him. Listen, listen, you've got to catch this concept. My spirit is absolutely, totally dependent upon God and sustained by God. My body is just like anything else. It's natural. It came from the dirt. So my body is dependent upon the dirt and is sustained by the dirt. My body is sustained by things that come from the dirt. My body is sustained by fruits and, and vegetables and, and ice cream. Ice cream is healthy. It is. Cows eat grass. And like, that's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. It's healthy. My body is sustained by natural things, but my spirit is sustained by God. Now listen very carefully to me. You cannot disconnect from what you're sustained by and live. Listen, listen to me. What would happen if a plant said to the dirt, I'm pulling out. I'm going to make it on my own. What would happen? It died. Listen to me. Man said to God, I'm pulling out. I'm going to make it on my own. God said, the day you do, you'll die. And see, many people wonder, how come Adam and Eve didn't die? They did die. Their bodies didn't die because their bodies come from dirt, are sustained by dirt, and go back to dirt. Their spirits came from God, are sustained by God, and go back to God. Their spirits died that day. And this is what Jesus is saying to us. I've come that you might have life. You don't even have life without me. You're not even alive without me. You have no life at all. That is why scientists go home and they don't know the Lord and come up with all these theories and that's why they tell us that we're just animals because when they lie down at night they have no life. And they say we're just animals. Why? Because their spirits are dead. And until they meet Jesus Christ, until they meet Him, they will never know life. Life comes from Jesus. Do you understand if you don't know Jesus, you're not alive today. You're not living. You're existing. Like a plant or an animal. You're just existing. But you don't understand what life is. Come through Jesus. Here's the third thing that John said. Jesus is the light. This is all through the book of John. John 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to him saying, Again, again, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This is more than you think it is to understand that Jesus is light. In other words, He's the revelation. He's the knowledge. He's the understanding. There is no wisdom apart from Him. There is no understanding. There is no comprehending apart from Jesus. He is the light. He is the one that helps us make it through this world. Can you imagine if this room were completely dark and you had never been in this room and there were obstacles all in this room and we wanted you to get from one side of this room to the other side. Completely dark and there's obstacles and you don't know what they are and you don't know where they are and you're trying to make it through this room. 
That's what it's like living without Jesus in this world. Exactly what it's like living without Him. And then, can you imagine if someone came in and hit one button and turned on all the lights? How much easier it would be to walk. That's what it's like getting saved. That's what it's like. All of a sudden, I can see. I understand what you've got for me, God. I understand your purpose in this life. I understand where I'm going now. And that's what it's what's like. And here's the great thing about Jesus. The more you get to know Him, the brighter He gets. It's just incredible how you can read this book and light comes forth on any subject you're talking about. If you're looking, thinking about your marriage or your business or making a move or what to do with a teenage child that's going the wrong way, you read this book and light comes out of this book. And revelation and understanding, and all of a sudden you say, I can see now. I can see the way to go. That's what John's trying to tell, that Jesus is the life. I know that we all have thousands of questions that we don't know the answer to. But just because we don't have the answer doesn't mean that there's not an answer. And people are trying to give us answers for things today that we may not know the answer to. But God knows the answer. Everything fits together in Jesus. He is the center of the universe. It all fits together in Him. And here's the last thing that John tells us about Jesus. He's the Lamb. Here we have, before he's ever worked a miracle, the beginning of his ministry. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the whole world. The Lamb of God. Now I want you to think about this. Jesus has never worked a miracle. He hasn't begun his ministry. He's never preached a sermon. John the Baptist sees him and says, that's the Lamb. The Lamb refers to him as the Lamb. That's the one that's going to die for us. That's the sacrifice right there. See, I want you to understand that before God created you, He knew He would die for you. Do you hear me? Before He created you, He knew that He would create you in His image. And by creating you, creating you in His image, you would have a will, which means you have a choice. And He knew before He created you that every one of us would choose the wrong way. He already knew this. And He knew the only way to redeem us would be for Him to come and to die for our sins, to be the sacrifice. Now, here's the, here's the incredible thing. He knew it and created you anyway. He knew you would reject Him for the first part of your life. And the only way to redeem you would be for Him to come and live as a man and die for your sins. He knew it, and He did it anyway. Jesus is the Lamb of God. After World War II, our government began many orphanages in, in Europe because of many of the Many of the children there were orphans because their parents died in the war. And one of the directors of the orphanage in his memoirs wrote this story. He said one day a very skinny man walked into camp with a very skinny little girl beside him. And he walked right up to me, the director said this, he walked up to me, the director of the orphanage, and said, please take care of my little girl. We are starving. And if you don't feed her, she's going to die. And the director of the orphanage said, Sir, I am so sorry. 
I am so sorry. But according to our policies, we can't do that. We cannot take care of any children if one or more of their parents are still living. I am so sorry. And the man said, you mean if I were dead, then you would take my daughter and you would feed her and you would clothe her and you would give her food and medicine and you would take care of her, give her shelter if I were dead. And the man said, yes. And the father reached down and picked up the little girl, pulled her very close to him, set her back down on the ground, and then took her hand and put it in the director's hand and said, I will take care of it. And he went out and hung himself. I don't know if you realize that Jesus said to the father one day, do you mean that the only way that they can be redeemed, the only way that they can live eternally with us, the only way they can have a relationship with us is if I die for them. And Jesus put our hand in the Father's hand and said, I will take care of it. He's the Lamb of God. And he died.